0: Lately, I've been wondering about what stories we will tell about this COVID-19 pandemic. How will we capture the real stories of our, of our lives and our experiences utilizing, of course, this new lexicon of words and phrases. We have social distancing and distant socializing, quarantine versus isolation, flattening curves, spikes and surges, essential services, virtual worship, and a host of technological um, words, uh, terms that I didn't know a month ago. I have a bad habit of starting each day, uh, reading the updated numbers of cases of the virus and projections for the virus, the data and the stats. But what stays with me are the stories. The stories of the real impact of this virus on the lives of men and women and children. The stories that linger will be the ones describing the joy and the pain of the heroes, the daily heroes who are making our lives safer and more manageable. I've also been interested in the stories from the 1918 influenza pandemic, in which 50 million people died worldwide. And I've wondered how Montview Church responded in that time over the course of those two years. I've wondered what kind of response they um, created in response to the virus. In May of 1918, the Miller Center, our second sanctuary, was dedicated and blessed. Five months later, the pandemic hit hard. And I wonder, did Montview close its doors during that time to in-person worship? And if so, for how long? And I wonder, did church members die of that flu? And if so, how many? And I wonder what was life like for them, people of faith who were resilient and courageous during that pandemic. Telling the powerful stories of people responding to this crisis, to this COVID virus, is what I hope will inspire our children and our grandchildren in the future, stories of resiliency and faith. As humans, we are natural storytellers. We make meaning by weaving stories. Stories make us human. We are shaped by the stories we hear and by the stories we tell. Stories factually form our brains. We have plenty of evidence that shows that brains are connected to stories, and the stories we hear about others connect us to them. When we hear the suffering of another person, our brain releases oxytocin, which is a chemical that fosters empathy and compassion. So we must hear the stories of people, especially people who are not like us, in order to foster compassion. In 2001, the New York Times responded to the 9-11 tragedy with the nearly 3,000 lives lost by starting a project called Portraits of Grief. And the Times wrote an obituary, a story about each victim of that tragedy. The New York Times last week announced a similar project that they will be starting, called Those We've Lost. They will be personalizing each victim lost to the coronavirus. Today, Wednesday, April twenty second, as we film this worship, the death toll in the United States is just over 45,000 U.S. citizens. That means an astonishing number of stories will be written. And our story from Scripture this morning takes place on Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection. We have Cleopas and his traveling companion leaving Jerusalem. Now, I like to believe that the traveling companion, as this person is called in the text, was actually his wife. And so I'll think of them as a couple. They're walking seven dusty miles to a not-so-significant village called Emmaus. And the couple is processing their grief, retelling the story as people do when we've lost someone, when we're grieving. We talk about the one whom we miss, the one that we long for, So the couple is talking about Jesus, whom they had hoped was the Messiah. And a stranger comes to them on the road, and for reasons we don't understand, they do not recognize Jesus, not his appearance, nor his voice, nor his teaching. And Jesus asks them, what are you discussing while you walk along? And the couple is astounded. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there these days? And the couple begins to tell Jesus the story. He tells, they tell Jesus all of it, all the details of their dashed hopes about the prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and the people. They tell this stranger that the women, had been first to see the empty tomb, and they saw angels. And when, then the women went and they told the men. And then the men sprinted to the empty tomb to see for themselves. And sure enough, just like the women had told them, it was empty. But Jesus listens to the couple, and he lets them finish their whole story. He recognizes all the sadness and disappointment and dismay they were carrying back with them to Emmaus. And then, when they were finished, Jesus, the quintessential storyteller, fills out the narrative, unpacking the scriptures, reaching all the way back to Moses, their ancestor. And with a significant plot twist, it turns out that Jesus is the story, that he is the one who fulfills or fills out God's redeeming love and liberating grace. Jesus himself is the hope for which Israel had been waiting. And although Cleopas and his wife walk and talk with Jesus for hours, they still don't recognize him. Jesus beguiles them. Not ready to let them go, though, they invite him for supper to their home. And when they take their seats around the table, the guest becomes the host. Jesus breaks and blesses the bread. And when he does, Cleopas and his wife's eyes are opened. And Jesus vanishes. What an astounding story they can tell. So what else could they do but return immediately to Jerusalem to tell the others and add their experience of the risen Jesus to that growing collection of post-resurrection stories? Now, we humans are storytellers. If we ask people who experienced the tragedy of 9-11, they would most surely tell us about that day, where they were, what they were doing, how they felt. And I would guess it's the same for those who lived through the bombing of Pearl Harbor or the assassinations of President Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr. If we ask them, they could probably tell us where they were, and what they were doing, and how they felt. Traumatic experiences have a way of imprinting themselves on our brains, and storytelling helps us to make meaning of those experiences. In this pandemic, there will be stories that need to be told, and the leadership of our church and our esteemed church historian Bob Matchett would love to have a collection of your stories, the stories that you have been living, that we can have for the Montview Archives. We want to hear how life has been for you and your family and your friends and your neighbors. If you're in a supper club, for example, how have you stayed connected? Help us to capture your experiences in a story form in order that we might share with future generations how this church responded to an unprecedented global crisis. Help us, most importantly, to remember how we witnessed God's love embodied around us. Don't forget to tell stories of how you gathered around computer screens for Montview at home and worshiped God as a church together while apart. Thankfully, Jesus did not turn out, his story did not turn out the way that the disciples feared it had. Jesus kept showing up in the strangest places in the days following his resurrection. Jesus still shows up in the strangest places, at unlikely times, and in renewed ways. And even though his own friends didn't recognize him, whether it was the first or the tenth time they encountered him, Jesus remained steadfast, helping them understand what the resurrection meant and would mean for their lives the dismayed disciples could finally say, were not our hearts burning within us while he told his story? May we also find our hearts burning within us as we pay attention to encounters with the risen Christ in the strange and yet grace-filled days we are in. Thanks be to God.